Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas, and this is definitely not, Michael, the second time we're recording this episode. <laughs> 100% not. Nobody forgot to record the first time, I promise. It's <laughs> <laughs> brand new content, isn't it? This is brand new content. Honestly, we could have not told you that, but why would we spoil the surprise? I don't know. Anyway, apparently, you can call us the front of the plane, Michael, <laughs> because we are all business to begin with when we've got our heads screwed on. And if you like this podcast, assuming it's actually recorded this time, you can... <laughs> Uh, follow it on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. And you can also follow either of your hosts on Twitter or Instagram as well. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts if indeed it even ever exists. You can listen to it on Spotify. Uh, you can pretty much anywhere you get podcasts, you can listen to us. Amazon Music, all that good stuff, including on Acast where you can subscribe, where you can stream it. Follow, subscribe, do all the things those apps ask you to do when it comes to podcast horsemen. Just get people talking themselves horse about a talking horse. And as always, every Friday it will go on the app podcast horseman Twitter feed. There's a streaming and a subscribe link there. Uh, season five, we're going to be giving out stars in the Hollywood talk of fame for quote tweeting that exact tweet. Normally we'd ask for five star reviews. This season, all we want is a quote tweet. It's been great seeing all of you that follow us currently getting the podcast out to your followers and then obviously getting a few new followers for that. All good for the podcast. Uh, if we see one of them, we'll sort of pick one at random every single week. They'll get a special season five star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Another one of them coming at the end of this episode. And I think that's all our business done all over again. That is all our business done. And for anybody who's just listening in for the first time, we're a really professional podcast who does a lot <laughs> of great content on BoJack Horseman. Thankfully, Michael is an intelligent man who clocked it. We were about how many minutes in? Um, Probably only about five, five, ten minutes, maybe something like that. Yeah? Whatever it is, it makes my stomach hurt thinking about it. I mean, it makes <laughs> me feel ill thinking we could have nearly spent all this time doing it. So thank you for noticing that, Michael Hamflit. Bit of behind the scenes for you there. Anyway, speaking of behind the scenes, before we do get into the episodes, yes, you are correct. I am a big, fat, piece of shit liar who did <laughs> not give any of you your stars the other day and I'd like to tell you there's a good reason for it unfortunately the reason is I'm an idiot as well who forgot to write this down and if it's not written down in my notes in my iPhone did it even really happen yes officer that's my story and I'm sticking to it anyway 
Speaking of stories that we're sticking to, shall we get back to our narrative of BoJack Horseman and Podcast Horseman? Season 5, Episode 9 we are on, and it is called Ancient History. A visiting hollyhock dumps BoJack's painkillers, sending him on a desperate search for more. Todd tries to solve Emily's dating dilemma. Oh, interesting stuff. BoJack and painkillers, Michael. What could possibly go wrong here? Adam Nicholas, other than this podcast... I don't know what's real anymore. Michael Hamflis, I don't know if I care. Indeed. And although I believe what you're saying to be true, also it is the words of Bojack Horseman. It's how this episode starts. Without seeing anything on screen other than the Netflix original series, we hear Bojack talking over a black screen. Uh, his alarm goes off, it wakes him up to start his day, but it cuts rapidly between him kind of getting up and getting his things together and him on the set of Filbert in a dramatic closing scene featuring Gina and Mr. Peanut Butter. Um, there's constant cuts between him just living his life and obviously filming this scene. But notably, in the shots where he's living his life, he's also sculling a bottle of pills at a time. Uh, we were aware, obviously, these were originally for his back. We're maybe not so sure now, but every single thing he's doing comes with him taking these pills uh, in between a supposedly very big conclusion to the first season of Filbert. Um, on the set, they cut... Um, and that confirms that it is indeed a wrap on season one. It's at that point that Gina um, succinctly, but in a nice and friendly way, ends the personal relationship between her and Bojack. It's done in such a polite way to protect his feelings, but he appears a little bit shocked that she can just kind of call time on it just like that, as indeed everybody is immediately called time on this show. The cast start to scatter. You hear Princess Carolyn in the background telling anyone that will listen that this was just a complete success, um, and it is a confirmed wrap. In case we didn't know that, we are shown a brief detail about the grand finale of season one, where but where Bojack as Philbert says, quote, the nuclear missiles are coming, and we get some terrible prop comedy to illustrate this point, as if it's going to sell the networks on a season two, and everybody is just left to clear off. Bojack ponders a particularly terrible bit of the script, where he'd said, quote, what the hell are goofberries, which goofberries were used as a kind of analogy for the pills that he was taking in real life, and everybody has departed a set which looks identical to his house. He is alone in both near-identical versions of his life. Um, it got to the point here, but it was pretty pointed for as far as cold opens go. Michael Hamlet, am I a Martin Scorsese film with Leonardo DiCaprio in a Matt Damon? Because everybody on this set is departed, my friend. <laughs> they have all left this season of Philbat in the dust, and we are left to pick up the pieces with our protagonist, who obviously... We have this amazing dynamic throughout this whole season, as 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 yet, where or thus far, as Bojack has been in a place that looks exactly like his house, but is not his house. And this is a perfect set, really, for to see just how much he's pondering over everybody disappearing, but also how really not probably prestige TV this show is with the uh, almost like mobile, like you hang over <laughs> a baby's cot, like a mobile thing hanging there. These two little missiles in the background that look so <laughs> cheaply made, which doesn't really fill me full of confidence for poor old Phil about the television show. But you never know, this is Hollywood. But yeah, I think fascinating here because in all of this, something that I noticed as everybody is leaving the set, as you say, Princess Carolyn brilliantly sort of telling everyone, good job, good job, or we excellent, we've done great stuff. As Flip McVicker wanders off saying, I just want everyone to know how proud I am of what I've done here. <laughs> <laughs> Which sums up Hollywood's men probably in a nice, succinct way. As you say, we'd kind of drifted from believing that Philbert could possibly be prestige TV based on a couple of things we've seen between him <laughs> and Mr. Peanut Butter and whatnot. However, I thought the missiles really drove that point home that maybe for the second time in his life, 
uh, a show is leaving Bojack behind, which feels very much like his own life. There was huge parallels to how he struggled to cope with the end of Horsing Around, which in itself was kind of hack shit, basically. Um, You could easily imagine a Bojack five years on from here watching the film at season one DVD, trying to like recall the moments that are taking place in the room that he's watching it in. Yeah, I think on top of that, there's that weird... He's got like that strange bookend that goes with every time he makes one of these shows, doesn't he? Like, he doesn't really want to do them to begin with, and he's got the anticipation and the anxiety of doing them before he does them, but then he doesn't want them to end once he's been in them because it's like a... It's a safe space for him, isn't it, in mm-hmm. the end? Because he's got this new bubble of friends, I guess, or people yeah. he works with, certainly. And once again, it's sort of disappeared or being blown up by giant missiles. Who knows, Michael? He'll have to come back for the next season of Philbath. <laughs> yeah, another few hundred people have seen him naked that he's now never going to see again and has come to sort of rely on. Um, speaking more of somebody that I would like to think hasn't seen Bojack naked, we're back with Hollyhock. Um, she's uh, at the at the airport and Bojack has gone to pick her up. He's made a, like a really cute pickup sign with all of the surnames on. As you would see, like normally like a limo driver have to the point where he has to flip it over so it feels all the surname. Like there's a great deal of affection there. Although as she motions for a hug, he can't really do it and he can't say just the nice words that he would expect to say to somebody he glad to greet at the airport. Um she makes a joke about uh, how it's so lucky that there was one layover available in Hollywood, and you know, he doesn't quite pick up that that's obviously a joke on her part. She's just genuinely pleased to see him and glad to be there. Um, they head back to Bojack's house and uh, Hollyhock is midway through telling Bojack about a boy she likes at college, uh, but immediately is kind of stopped in her tracks by kind of a form of like PTSD as they get to the front door and Bojack opens up and welcomes inside as he's going through talking about how great he'd be on a college campus, just taking her ball and stealing it, never mind running with it. Um, she's lost in this sea of bad memories and kind of stress that moment, the screen goes suddenly very jagged and it just reflects this dark time in her life, obviously, of course, when uh, Beatrice was drugging her. Um, but Bojack assures her that it's all done and dusted. Beatrice is dead. And so is any threat to her now that she's back in Hollywood with him. Um, cut to later in the episode, they're eating pizza and relaxing. And it really is the time that she would have liked and the time he's desperate to have with her. Um, she goes to the fridge to get some ice cream to smush down the pizza that she's already eaten. Um, and she finds that he has a bottle of vodka per day as labelled in the house, which, of course, is quite the upgrade from when he was labelling one bottle for what, for a full week. Um, they play a fight a little bit in the kitchen. It's all still very affectionate. But in the sort of them sort of mixing in together, she finds some tablets. She immediately panics and assumes that they're for her, that Bojack was going to start drugging her again in this brief time they got together. So she throws them all down the sink, but it's then that he only gets to explain and with some panic that he needs them for his bad back. Um, Hollyhock understandably feels guilty, has no reason to suspect they're for anything else when she understands that Bojack is at least partially telling the truth. He explains that he can't get more from the pharmacy because I think he's a drug addict, but luckily he knows a sketchy doctor that might be able to sort things out. And it turns out to be Doctor Who. Of course, the doctor that was uh, commonly Bojack and Sarah Lynn's supplier, as evidenced, I believe, in season one, episode 11, when they all need to like brainstorm. He's the guy that hooks them up. I believe he might have done it at one more point in the show as well. Um, but he's the ultimate LA party doctor. Um, or at least he was. As they reconnect, it turns out that they haven't seen each other since Sarah Lynn's funeral, which was the point at which he took a long, hard look at his life and decided to get clean and sober. They do about seven different versions of the Who's on first bit, as well you can imagine. Uh, and Doctor Who rather tragically notes, quote, 
you'd have to be a real lost cause not to seek help after losing someone like that, don't you think? At which point, Bojack floats around the fact that he's never actually sought help for dealing with the death of Sarah Lynn. He kind of flaps in response without giving a proper answer. But ultimately, the end result here is that he can't convince Doctor Who to give him some more drugs. Um, this was like a nice stopping point. It's a very fast-moving episode. We've got a proper ABC plot, I should point out at this point. So all of these are kind of interspersed with other things going on with other characters. Um, so it seems like a nice point to get your like first reflections on this latest meetup of Bojack and Hollyhock. She, I felt almost immediately, she grounds him in a way that we've really missed this season. Like she, as the the one that isn't the adult in the relationship, is the one that is bringing an adult presence to his life that you just feel is spiraling a little bit. Mm. I think it's good because Hollyhock for us is Hollyhock helps us to see Bojack in a light from that like last season. If you think about last season. Him and Hollyhock spend so much time together that it actually starts to have a positive effect on his life, uh, mm. where he becomes, dare I say it, better. He improves. Yeah. There's definitely an improvement there. Like, yes, he's still a stupid piece of shit. I mean, that goes without saying. But he's trying to be better. And it is, for mm. the most part, succeeding. So so having Hollyhock come back into the scene, on the end of the episode, really kind of reminded me just how far away we are from that right now with Bojack in his car, in a bad way on pills, like, like clearly referencing how much his back is hurting and we know that it came from stupid decisions that were made and we know that the stuff with him and Diana spiralled a bit out of, out of control in terms of the parts of his past that are coming to light. And I think she, the, the way they have her pick up on the little signals immediately is really quite mm. good in this episode. Like like you say, the, the missed opportunity for a hug, her kind of going, hmm, like when she's... She, she picks up on things doesn't she immediately yeah. like there she's like the the watchful eye over his actions that he maybe needs but hasn't had as you say throughout this episode like immediately being like do you need those pills and then when you get into the kitchen it's like why do you have a bottle that's labeled like mm. alcohol like asking questions that he's not even thinking of because it's just become normal life for him yeah he um he's always in need of like a still point in his turning world and without having Diana's that this season, partly of his own doing, um, yeah, he's showing that. He's showing a, a lack of that. And again, like turning world, spiral. Like, it does feel like he's spiralling as a result. I also thought it was interesting that, um, here comes another horse pun, stable. Hollyhock feels completely stable until the second she sees his house, until the second she's part of his life in any meaningful way again. And then at the very sight of it, she is suddenly rattled by a dark memory. It's again, it goes back to a theme that we used to talk about a lot, which is just that, you know, like Bojack is fundamentally broken. He will damage everybody else around him and there's kind of nothing they can do about it. Once they're in his orbit, they're going to become part of like, what is it? What was the the line that like his mother famously told him about? Like there was a, there's a hole. Yeah. And it just, it, it leaks out of him and it impacts everybody. She is now part of that. She absolutely is. And I think on top of that as well, it's the fact that it's no coincidence that she's returned to Hollywood, the place mm. famous for the the tar, the infamous yeah. tar in this show. And she's immediately having negative, like negative feelings, negative experiences, flashbacks to negative memories. Because Hollywood's bad, Michael. I don't know if you've figured <laughs> it out yet. Hollywood's pretty bad, actually. Um, and Hollyhock's been living quite a nice life from the sound of things. I mean, think about how happy and jovial she is when she first meets Bojack, she's telling them all about a friend from her dorm room. She's got loads of, like, she's been hanging out with people her age, just having a good time. Mm. And like you say, the second we get in there, and the animation's really good at desaturating, like, the colour 
and and shaking the shaking yeah. the uh, animation as well, which really had Tom just how not comfortable she is. Yeah, um, first year of university is far nicer than a day in Hollywood, especially <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> especially a day where you've gone to see a formerly corrupt doctor and he's not been able to sort you out with drugs, but on you go all the same to one of your brother's colleagues who may. They're going to Genus, who uh, Bojack believes that there might be some leftover from the last time that he was sleeping over the house. Um, he's aware that she doesn't really want to see him again, uh, but is at least aware that she's not home because she has a book club. He also kind of questions out loud why he knows that she's got a book club and why he knows her schedule at all. It's again another very gentle callback to a relationship that hasn't been profiled. Last week on the Halloween episode, um, Gina said, I didn't realise we were having a party. With the strong implication that being that like she spent a lot of time at his house, he spent a lot of time at hers. This was another clue that like that relationship was cutting a little bit deeper than we were ever shown as like a, a central plot thread on this show. Um, but anyway, they go, so he's got all the details of the book club, so he knows they've got plenty of time to get in and get out and somehow steal these pills. Um, <laughs> he said, he tells Holly Hotwiler in the car, like, he's got, quote, his ways of getting in the house. Immediate cut to him lifting the doormat and finding the spare key isn't there. So instructing Holly Hot that she's going to have to break in instead. That was his uh, second plan. Maybe he should have brought his uh, spy shit. Um, she goes <laughs> to a back window while Bojack is around the front. But as he's there, Gina pulls up in the car. Um, it turns out they've moved the book group. Um, and she wants to know why he's there. Um, he says he needs to talk to her slowly as a way to provide a laboured distraction for Hollyhock to try and dash around the house in a very farcical fashion and try and find these pills. Um, Hollyhock can't get them, so Bojack says to Gina that they should, quote, keep looking at the relationship so that Hollyhock will keep rooting around. Um, and then... Uh, as we see Hollyhock race up a flight of stairs, Bojack says that Gina is, quote, top shelf. There's <laughs> one sort of like last ditch yelled cue from the front door. Um, at this point, Gina, who of course has only been listening to Bojack at face value rather than noticing what Hollyhock's doing to her house, uh, says, quote, so do you want to get back together? And then it's at that moment that Hollyhock finds the bottle of pills and Bojack goes, yes! And obviously there's your sort of cartoon comedic miscommunication for the night. Um, Gina notes that she's had 28 onset flings, but Bojack is the first one to come back over like this. Um, so having Bojack seemingly agree to want to get back together, she talks herself into it too. She even suggests that maybe Bojack's the one. At which point Bojack dashes off, says he'll call us soon, and he tries to speed off with Hollyhock in the Tesla. They kind of dive back into the car like kind of cartoon crooks. Picture like the wet bandits trying to speed away in Home Alone or something like that. Um, Bojack is uh, sure he will avoid hurting Gina this time in a way that, quote, she carries with her for the rest of her life. I'm sure he won't do that this time around. Um, he has nowhere to go with that. But enough of that, because at least he's got the pills. Only they're the wrong ones. He, uh, he tosses them away, which is at the point at which Hollyhock says, might Gina not need those? But of course, only a Hollyhock would think about Gina's needs rather than a Bojack, even though he's just pledged his love and allegiance to her. Um, but Bojack has one last idea for pills. Um, we cut to them under a bridge. Uh, it turns out to be the bridge where they filmed the uh, chase scene in Greece. It's very <sighs> late now. It's far from Greece. It's very sketchy. And uh, Hollyhock reminds him that she has to be at the airport in two hours. So not only are they in the most dangerous part of town, they've also kind of got against the clock at this point. Um, Bojack passive-aggressively reminds her, not for the first time, that they maybe wouldn't be in this situation if she hadn't tipped them in the first place. He's not saying it's her fault, but he's not not either. And he likes to let her know that every now and then throughout the episode. 
at this point, a very shady-looking drug dealer turns up. Um, but his and Bojack's interaction, uh, potentially wine drugs, is broken up by the pathetically described officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face. He's got um, a, t- a teenager's outfit, and by that what I mean is a cap that says teen and a T-shirt over the top of his police shirt, which both that points out, you can still see the badge through the shirt. He's talking in police speak um, about how he's definitely not like on a drugs bust and he's just looking to buy drugs. The idiot dealer blindly misses like so many clues. Uh, that this man is a policeman, and hands over some drugs, at which point a ton of police arrive, sort of speed and surround it in this great big circle, reveal it's a giant sting operation. Bojack and Hollyhock are forced to run into the night away from the police and back to Bojack's car. Um, Bojack has to kind of lift Hollyhock over this fence, but at least they do manage to escape from the police. Um, Bojack is completely knackered, saying, quote, there's got to be another way to get pills. He is now seeming increasingly desperate for these pills. Um, Hollyhock is more concerned over how Bojack somehow managed to lift her over a massive fence when he's got too bad a back to do anything else. And that's obviously why they're on the hint for the pills in the meantime. She's very much reading between the lines at this point of maybe what might be going on. Um, Bojack swears that it's just adrenaline and then shouts down her further attempts to question him by uh, when she sort of says, you know, you don't need these drugs, you don't need these pills. He kind of like just talks over and talks over until she can't get a word in. And he says, quote, I am in pain all the time. My whole life, you have no idea. He snaps her for having, quote, one bad experience with Beatrice when, in his mind, he's been in pain his entire life. The pills aren't just for his back. They're for absolutely everything else, too. It's the first time he's outwardly saying what we've all, as viewers and now as Hollyhock, kind of suspected for several episodes now. She sighs a dejected sigh and just asks for a lift back to the airport. Um, Again, quite a nice stopping point here. The big... Kind of crescendo of Hollyhock and Bojack's quest for drugs in uh, Hollyhock's one night with him. Um, it ends in comedic farce, which Bojack is really good at doing. Bojack, I'm sure, is really good at doing because it uses the farce to describe the significant issues it's about to address. In this case, Bojack giving away the game a little bit when he, as you say, wants to be better, hoists her over the fence straight away to get her out of harm's way, but reveals in the process what's actually going on here. Yeah, they did a lot with this, didn't they? Because it's so utterly ridiculous, this whole drugs bust bit. Like, in the best possible way, I should point out. And if you haven't watched it already, obviously, as always, we will tell you, go and watch the episode. But, um, yeah, like, the the heart of it really is that we've got a Bojack who's, like, throughout this season, and this is another like uh, another moment of this, or a good example of it, um, has just kind of had little moments of therapy throughout this season, all mm-hmm. of which... One was literally with a therapist, which he thought he <laughs> He thought he wasn't actually in therapy for. But in other situations, it's just creeping out of him. There are moments where he can't keep it in anymore. Life has become a bit too much on a multitude of different levels. Seeing him having this conversation with Hollyhock, and it inevitably he ends up, despite the fact that he is kind of berating her, like let's be honest, because he's angry about losing the pills and he hasn't quite accepted it yet. I think Hollyhock kind of understands, even though it's, he's being a real dick to her. Like she knows, he knows he's now in the wrong because he's verbalised it, and all he can do really is let that sit and fester because time's up. Literally, time is up. Unfortunately, she has to go back to to where she's going. But a wonderful interaction, this because we all kind of had our suspicions. We've seen Bojack necking those pills like nobody's business, but kind of it's not just the back, is it? Mm. I thought as well. It took him a long time here to do what he 
promised he would do with uh, forever, which was, be totally honest, this yeah. was obviously a break from Hollyhock has kind of allowed him to forget that that was a, something that had really like started to fought, like, form a tighter bond between them, that he was honest sometimes at his own expense. He became so honest with her that he was open about his faults and she didn't necessarily <laughs> like what she heard and saw sometimes. Here, because it's been a while and because they have only spent a short time together, he tries for quite a while to get through one big lie and he uses that lie to drag Holly Hawk to these pretty terrible places um, and then gives in at the end. So she does get that Bojack ever so briefly. He gets to be the honest version of himself again. But when it's forced out, it's never as pleasing for either party. It's 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 with an air of sadness and it's with an air of regret rather than something that if he'd have just if he'd have said that to her at the sink, they wouldn't have had to have had as bad a night and she could have cared for him in a much safer place than under one of the dankest tunnels in LA. Yeah, it always seems to come out in the worst place, like that he has a breakthrough at the worst possible time or the worst <laughs> situation he could possibly be in. And not only does it show you like a really good example of how Hollyhock has this important influence on Bojack by just maybe just giving him a few truths every now and again that he doesn't necessarily want to hear. I thought this was a really good illustration, though, as well, of just how quickly, for anybody, not just Bojack, for people in general, like, especially people who live alone, I know Bojack's technically with Gina, but, like, if you don't have someone who's holding the mirror up to you every now and again, or, like, someone who's genuinely keeping an eye on you, it, it, things can turn pretty quickly and mm. what you consider to just be the normal day-to-day, like Bojack's intense drinking or Bojack's intense painkiller taking or whatever. It kind of shows you the path, how that can easily happen to someone. Like, I know Bojack's an extreme case, but it really kind mm. of illustrates just how easy it is for this to happen to literally anybody. And yeah. until Hollyhock comes back into his life, he doesn't even realise how far away from the track, get it, track, He's actually like he's off. He's gone off track again. He's off the rails once again, and he just hasn't really necessarily acknowledged it. And it's it's. I quite like the way that it sort of shines the light on just how easy that has done. Yeah, it took. Yeah, it took twenty five years for Bojack being panicked about somebody spiking the cider for feeling the need to label his vodka by how much he could drink per day. It mm. took him about a month to go from per day to a bottle a day. Yeah, such was such was the sort of situation he found himself in um yeah very very well illustrated here um and again like we go to the gate now of the airport where hollyhock's going home and bojack is kind of given a freebie because other people are better than him and want what's best for him even again when it's at their expense um bojack apologizes but hollyhock apologizes too uh bojack admits that maybe he doesn't need the pills after all and this has been the awakening he needs um, he thanks her for caring and again in the spirit of the honesty that he's rediscovered with her he promises 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 that he won't hit the painkillers unless he gets hurt uh, she says i love you which he can't reciprocate though you can physically see him fighting with the words um they say bye to each other and they kind of give each other warm ish waves from either side of the car as hollyhock goes to get back on the plane um Bojack is driving away for the day. He's waiting at a red light and he's sort of like just shuffling around in the car. He finds one last pill bottle and he uh, does the old sort of thing where he looks for it like a telescope, just to see honest, but even licks the interior of it on the off chance that I guess some of the powdery residue was still there for him. It's not done the job, obviously. And uh, the light is still red and he waits and he waits 
and he waits and he waits and he gets increasingly irritable in the process to the point where he starts sweating and shaking and groaning in what appears to be yet more physical pain. And then he floors the accelerator. The screen goes back to the black where the episode started amidst not the sound of an alarm clock, but the sound of a massive car wreck. And that's what takes us to the credits. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh. I've heard about Gimme the Green Light, Michael, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man. Bojack literally just drove himself in the traffic. Mm. In the, you know that old, the old go and take a long walk into oncoming traffic <laughs> or whatever. He was in a car, but he's just gone and lived out that old joke. And you've done it. I don't know why we're laughing because it's clearly not going to end well for anybody involved. Um, oh man, the worst part here is that, as he said, um, Hollyhock basically says to him, "You know, only take pills if you if you need them, if you're going to need them." And he's willfully just put himself into a car accident. Because he doesn't, in a way, it's yeah. kind of sweet because he doesn't want to break her trust. This right? is an act of self-preservation. Which is technically <laughs> an act of self-preservation. Like, I can't believe I'm saying it, but he doesn't. He, like, he values her so much that he will drive into oncoming traffic just to hurt himself properly so he can have these pills and still stick to that weird verbal agreement. He's just not weird verbal agreement, but you know what I mean? It's weird that he's trying to do something so out there just to stick to it. Oh God, this is so layered and so sad at the same time. It's um, what happens in a standard episode of Bojack is that Bojack makes a terrible decision um, for one like minor rational reason that ultimately has no major ramifications because he kind of gets to get away with doing whatever he wants or a Diane or a Princess Carolyn or even a Todd will say, no, don't do that thing. Don't act on that ridiculous impulse. None of those people are around. There is no support system. The one little crumb of rationale is, I can't lie to Hollyhock. The answer is, time to make the dumb decision. And he makes it. And yeah, it's like, it's very, like I should point out as well, it's part of a, we haven't had one of these for a while. It's part of a multi-scene montage, which wraps up the A, B and C. And we'll, we'll get to the B and C as we go on in this review. Um, it's a really great montage that sees all the characters kind of come into terms with the events of this episode and it ends with Bojack in the car. So as a viewer, um, and the, the roof of the Tesla is down, you know, the sun's out, you're kind of left with the impression that he's, <laughs> for the want of a better phrase, he's going to get out of this episode unharmed. <laughs> and they take that away from you with the very last frames. Um, and not even that, they take it away with the audio that's set against the black screen. Um, yeah, it just it's, it's very like delicately delivered as a piece of television, I think, as well as being just a tremendous driver for the next episode. The very opposite of the missiles have fallen in terms of you wanting to watch the next episode to find out what's happened. An actual good ending, a cliffhanger <laughs> ending, you mean. Fascinating that it end, ended in black and it started in black. I think this episode, I don't know what you can read into that, whatever you may, but I just thought that was quite an interesting choice, the way we tail-ended both episodes with those bookends. And interestingly, Michael, as well, just popping into my head here while we were talking about it, I think we could all say that it was being a bit of a if it was a colour, the ending of it, it'd be quite grey, wouldn't it, this episode? I think we'd agree. Would you think? Would that be fair? I, I would agree with that. Would you agree with that? Similar to David Gray, Michael, who would sing a song 
called Babylon. And I believe oh. the very evening that Bojack is driving his car is a Friday night, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe the lyrics of that song, Michael, are Friday night, I'm going nowhere. All the lights are changing green to red. Oh, my word. And as we watch this show, turning over TV stations, and as the episode finishes, Michael, situations running through my head. <laughs> Fantastic. There you go. I don't know how I don't know how Raphael Bob Waxberg has managed to tell David Gray to write this song <laughs> in the year two thousand year two thousand about his show. But I tell you what, he's done it, Michael. I don't know how he's done it, but he's done it. I cannot wait for the RBW next Animals and Humans project. Jumping Jesus, holy cow. It's going to come to Netflix Listen, in I'm sure a lot of our viewers are thinking now, you know, it's clear that we've been blind. We've been a fool, Michael. We've been a fool. I'm going to crack on with Todd's arc before all our listeners sail away. Um, Please do. If you want it, <laughs> come and get it. That's what I'll say. <laughs> Listen, Todd. Let's talk about Todd. He is at the What Times at Christ. If anybody know about Babylon, it'd be God. At the What Times at Right Now offices where Emily has popped in to see him. She's broken up with yet another fireman. And she notes that the sex was great, but there was no emotional connection. Um, and she reveals at the same time that she's actually made a dating app for asexuals, um, primarily to help her friend Todd, obviously. Um, she praises how perfect a boyfriend he was with him, other than the not having sex part of it. Um, and Todd has, quote, a crazy idea. And as Emily braces herself for possibly that him picking up on a few clues that maybe they could possibly give this another go together, he continues, quote, a restaurant where the menus are printed on garlic bread. It's uh, not exactly what she was hoping here, though. I would love to go. It to sounds that. fantastic, that, by the way. Absolutely amazing. Um, Todd, however, is as thoughtful a friend as Emily is to him. We see him go around to uh, Diane's awful apartment for advice on how to help Emily, um, noting how he knew she'd be alone and free on a Friday night. Uh, Diane makes these great excuses about cinema times not suiting anybody, especially when it comes to food. Todd mentions why she couldn't go to the cinema like normal people with mashed potatoes smuggled. Yeah. Uh, and already he's kind of lost sight of why he's gone round because he's too busy mocking her apartment and her current living circumstances. Um, this is Todd, <laughs> by the way, who used to be homeless. That's just, yeah. just, just, just put out there. Judging Diane's living quarters. Um, he's basically come to ask Diane what he can make in response as a sort of as a as a thank you, if nothing else, for the asexuals app. Um, Diane asks what she likes, and Todd says he knows she likes quote sex for one, but then gets confused when Diane actually goes into detail about sex, thinking that she's helping and offering him some advice. Um, this throws him off the conversation completely. He asks what they're talking about. She replies, uh, I think sex for one. At which point Todd has his light bulb moment. He races off to a junkyard and Diane has absolutely no clue what she's done. Um, later that night at Princess Carolyn's place, where Todd, of course, also lives, Todd has Emily over. It's all candlelit. It's all looking quite romantic. He's in a robe. Um, but when Emily dares to ask why these things might be happening, he notes that he blew a fuse and he had to light all the candles, which took a while and he didn't have a chance to change. Yet again, Emily is like brought to the brink of thinking, is this a thing? Before she's brought back down to earth by Todd being Todd. Um, <laughs> she says, 
Oh, in response to that. So he replies, quote, hold that thought, which is not a thought that anybody particularly wants to hold, and introduces his answer to all of Emily's problems. Henry Fondle, a oh. ludicrously assembled sex robot. <laughs> Mate, this is an audio medium. Henry Fondle is... Right, it's uh, boxes. I've got this. I've got this. Let me just give it to you because I've spent ages with an, an in-depth breakdown of everything Please. that Henry Fondle is. So you're getting a little taste of your of your horsing around ahead of time. But I am I am 100% agreement with you, Michael. It needs to be completely detailed. Just in case there's anybody who isn't going to watch this episode, you obviously should, as always. Henry Fondle, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is from top to bottom. Let's let's do it right, you know. From the head down, if you will. Yeah. He is a blender for his head with googly eyes that are stuck on to, for to make his actual eyes. Mm-hmm. He has a speaker for a mouth, which is also attached to an iPod, which is sellotaped. All of everything, by the way, is sellotaped. Everything is yeah. sellotaped. The iPod is sellotaped to the side. He has a cardboard box labeled toys with a sideways toaster just below it for the front of the body with a, essentially looks like a breadboard taped to the front of that box, <laughs> which has an LED board for words and a keyboard for function or keypad for function <laughs> yeah. on the front, of course, because he's not a lunatic, is he? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that, I should point out, still on the midsection here, is taped to a large tub of what I can only assume is lubricant. Mm-hmm. Um, the arms are what look like the like handles from plungers. Two handles from plungers make one arm that are all tied again with tape <laughs> together. Uh, marigolds are tied at the end for hands, like <laughs> which he must have filled with something because they have maintained the shape of an actual hand as well. Right. And Michael, not only that, but they are also holding things in the hands. Um, in one hand is a feather. And on that same wrist is a handcuff. There's one cuff to the to the, the the arm. There's another one free, of course, to be cuffed to somebody in the future, I presume. And then the other arm and hand is a whip. Michael, a nice leather whip with a bunch of tassels on the end. And then as we get to the legs, of course, if that's what we can even call them, the bottom half of Henry Fondle is, in fact, a vacuum cleaner that is... <laughs> On a Segway, like those little <laughs> Segways, it's taped to a Segway for movement. And then as we go around the various bits, there is also a front-facing hose attached <laughs> to the front of Henry Fondle, essentially, Michael, where one might assume a penis might be. Um, yeah. But don't worry about that, because that's not actually his actual penis part. That's just the hose that's going to fire out the lubricant as it's attached to the large tub in the back so you can spray out the lube. But then, of course, to finish it all off, if you'll pardon the pun. Uh, there are three miscellaneous sex toys on the front and back of Henry Fondle. One of them is a jack-in-the-box. <laughs> <laughs> because, surprise, <laughs> it's Henry Fondle. <laughs> and, of course, Henry Fondle also likes to talk, I should point out. But there you go. That's Henry Fondle, top to bottom. So there you are. <laughs> Thank you for that. You are welcome. I am grateful for that rundown of Henry Fondle. Uh, Emily, understandably, 
less, <laughs> less than impressed with what Todd perceives to be a solution to her problems. Uh, while she's less than impressed, Henry bumps into some of the candles, having slightly gone out of control a little bit, um, <laughs> starting a massive fire in the apartment, which ultimately has to be put out by Doug, who is one of Emily's firefighter exes. Um, so that provides just more awkwardness for Emily, having been brought face to face with another one of her ex-boyfriends. Um, Todd apologises for his terrible idea and uh, finally skirts around the idea of dating her, but without the sex. Uh, he calls her his favourite person. He talks about how maybe the relationship could actually work. He offers a couple of lovely hypotheticals about if he had a, a day at work that he wanted to come and talk about, he would pick her to do it. He wants to spend all his time with her. Uh, again, you see sort of Emily suddenly realising his Todd finally clicking on now to what might be able to work between us. Um, so she cuts in outright to ask if uh, she, she'd have to have sex with the robot. Um, and he admits it's not ideal. Uh, at this point, Henry Fondle returns in a shot. And like, you are articulate, I'm going to be less so. Spunk's purple lube out of a giant dildo from its front end. Um, this <laughs> breaks the tension, shall we say. But Emily tries to keep it on track. She notes to Todd that some asexuals do have sex, but Todd isn't comfortable with that. Um, she asks if he has any more ideas whatsoever, um, at which point, for the last time, we think that Todd's got this brainwave, this sort of show-saving concept, and all he has is cube-shaped marbles that don't roll away, which, of course, tees up the perfect reply from Emily of no dice. No dice. Um, in the aforementioned montage, musical montage that kind of sums up the episodes, um, Todd is seen alone again, giving Emily's app a go. It's quite key as well. He enters his own details, obviously, and hits search. And then we see the sort of the, the pinwheel app thing on his phone as if something is loading. We never see if anybody else is yet on the app available to Todd. Um, that's left sort of to mystery, at least, this episode. I mean, Christ your rundown of Henry Fondle in a way was this B-plot for me because it did steal it. But like really quite sweet stuff between Todd and Emily here. Those That gag they returned to probably three times, I didn't count, of Todd raising Emily's hopes only mm. to dash them either with like a silly idea or in the case of the last one, something that Emily was able to finally like close that book on. She, did, she really didn't want to, but it was time to call time on any hopes she had left of making it work with Todd. Yeah, it's a real, it's a shame this, but I also kind of like the, well, it's great to see the mature, the, I say the mature approach to this, I was about to suggest, but <laughs> Hen, Henry Fondle might not quite fit that category. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But it's a shame because these two clearly like each other. Like, you know, and that, that little um, rundown that Todd gives Emily of the hypotheticals, it's really nice that way, saying, like, if something great happens in midday, you'd be the one I'd want to tell. Or if, like, whatever he says, it goes along the lines of something really sentimental and nice and it's such a shame because those two obviously have that chemistry, but I kind of like that they're going to try and the, the the end goal for them both is to still try and help the other one to have the best possible life they can have. It's just yeah. earnestly nice stuff, this isn't it? Like, which mm. we kind of probably need in this episode, like as usually happens with uh, with Bojack. But I mean, the amount of times they just toy with you in this episode, if you, again, if you'll pardon the pun, like. <laughs> Todd it means the best for everybody, and yet somehow the fact that he could be blind to creating such a monstrosity of a robot as Henry <laughs> Fondle. I mean, it's you, you've got to watch this episode just for Henry Fondle to physically see. I've tried my best to describe that there in as much detail as possible to give you an idea, and even that won't do it justice. Because there was quite, quite something about seeing three dildos wanging around on the side <laughs> of a robot as a hose sprays lube everywhere and the robot says like, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's it's quite something, Michael. Imagine the person who pitched Henry Fondle in Raphael Bob Baxberg's writing room. Can you imagine that? And was just, it Raphael Bob Baxberg? <laughs> I love like the ultimate progression of the rule of three in Bojack. We started season in the more innocent days of three children in a trench coat and we've advanced to three dildos on a robot. Three dildos. On a, it still fits the beats, though, doesn't it? Three yeah. children in a trench coat. Three dildos <laughs> on a robot. <laughs> oh, lovely stuff. Um, let's get to the PC plot, shall we? Um, Princess Carolyn gets yeah, a visit from... Nothing, there was nothing PC about that plot. <laughs> <laughs> Princess Carolyn gets a visit from Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> who is looking for something new in his life after Philbert rapped like about an hour ago in this hour that he's been away from the set and decided to walk into the next opportunity in his life. He'd gone to look at books in a bookshop to option for potential films. Um, he'd realised that there's no chance he's ever going to read a book, but he might watch a film that would then make him say, no, I want to read that book. So he tried to reverse engineer that into getting a film for, role for himself, but has then acknowledged that he finds books too boring. So he instead wants to option a gift card. He's bought a card in to Princess Carolyn. Uh, it's a, a birthday scene for a happy birthday dad. Um, and he wants to option it as a film called, quote, Birthday Dad. Princess Carolyn asks what that even is. And Peanut Butter just replies with, Birthday Dad. 
So she says, oh, okay. And then flips over the card to find it's made by Stilton Cards, of course. Mm. So she does have an in. There is somebody she can meet with to get the rights to this. Um, it's Ralph, of course. They meet for dinner. And uh, at first she scopes out that he's still single. He's not got a girlfriend. and Just to know, I think. Um, before revealing that she's recently been working on a show called Filbert. Ralph is taken back by that, of course, because that was always what they'd named their hypothetical baby that they never ended up happening together. Um, she brings up Birthday Dad, to which point Ralph asks how Birthday Dad could possibly be a movie. So she tries peanut butter's tactic of just going, Birthday Dad? And Ralph replies, oh, okay. And you already have that sinking feeling that another stupid thing is going to happen in Hollywood. Um, but before we can really dive deeper into that, um, she gets a call from the she adoption liaison that we met very early in the season, mm-hmm. who is telling her that a baby is to be born shortly, that the mother wants to give up as soon as possible. Um, it's hers because, in the words of the adoption agent, quote, you don't say no to free baby. Uh, Princess Carolyn tries and kind of fails to steal herself in the kind of the shock and the stress of it all and gets ready to dash. Um, but it's so rattled, she spills the dinner on herself um, and accidentally kind of reveals to Ralph that she's in the process of adopting. Ralph offers her to drive her to the hospital. She says she's got a car seat in her car, but he says, it's fine, we'll take it in mind. It'll give you time to just kind of cool down. I'll drive you there. And on the way in the car, he's a touch miffed um, that she's changed her mind on adoption, seemingly to him, specifically after they broke up. He does, to be fair to him, we weren't always the kindest Ralph on this podcast. He does apologise here for realising he's making it all about himself. And this was, you know, her decision. And it was her, her choice to make. Um, we next see them in the hospital waiting room where Princess Carol admits she is actually quite glad that he's there as somebody to kind of like keep her calm and keep her level. Uh, Ralph's waiting with her and they're just talking very diplomatically about the breakup. Princess Carolyn reflects on the night about how she really wanted him to stay, whereas his reply is, well, you told me to leave. And then she really wanted him to call and he said, you explicitly told me not to call. And they kind of have this little gag between them. Oh, well, I guess now that if you ever say something, I'm just to do the opposite, right? But it all seems to have ended well, finally. Um, but the next cut to is them in the uh, delivery room with Princess Carolyn cradling the baby that has obviously now been born. Um, the woman, who we learn is called Bridget, is feeling some guilt about giving the baby away. Um, but is reassured when she assumes that Ralph and Princess Carolyn are a couple. Um, her panic was that she didn't think that she could do it alone. That panic suddenly manifests into very real life when it turns out that Ralph and Princess Carolyn are not a real couple. Ralph tries to style it out and kind of just say, oh, no, we are a couple, we are. Princess Carolyn tells him that he absolutely must not lie to who she now believes is going to be the baby she's adopting. Um, But it turns into Ralph trying to get back together. He says, I'm not lying. I want this. This is all I ever pictured. This is all I wanted. Princess Carolyn is forced as a result to very explicitly say she doesn't. She doesn't want it. She says, quote, I have plans now and you're not in them. She didn't obviously want to be as harsh as that, you don't think, but she kind of felt forced because they're in front of the mother of the baby. Um, she explains that she's not afraid to do it by herself anymore. She knows that she can. She wants to. Um, and she knows that by the love that she already feels just from holding the baby, she'll have all the power to be able to do this by herself. That speech empowers Bridget to realise that she too can do it by herself. And she takes the baby back. Oh. Princess Carolyn is in obvious and horrific pain, but does the right thing and hands the baby back. Her slice of the montage is waiting for a cab rather than taking a lift with Ralph. They exchange nothing but the car seat again to seemingly draw a line of their relationship. 
and we see her cradling it, still unused, still in the box in the back of the taxi as her episode comes to a really, really upsetting conclusion. Yeah, this is not not how I envisaged this one going, Michael. No. <laughs> I've got to be honest. Especially the first time I watched it. I mean, now, obviously, I, I kind of see it coming. But I still kind of, in my head, I always hope one day that maybe that it'll change. <laughs> um, yeah. She deserves so much better than this, Princess Carolyn. But there are some big takeaways, yeah. Some important takeaways as well. Um, we see the growth hugely here from Carolyn because, Carolyn, how dare I? Princess Carolyn. Um, because she spends that whole time in the uh, the Amelia Earhart story episode kind of just wheeling and dealing, doesn't she? She's telling people what they want to hear. She sort of has that interaction with Sadie where Sadie kind of says to her, I've watched you lying to people all day. I was just like, yeah, bullshit people. And she's like, I don't think it's for me. And it's stuck. That little notion, that reminder of stop with the Hollywood bullshit has, has stuck with her. But, and and I think it also highlights just how how not right for our Ralph is <laughs> on any mm. level. Because much like most of the men in Hollywood, he figures out, he just thinks, oh, I'm just going to do whatever I need to do to get to the end goal here. And when mm-hmm. they're having this conversation, I know we're harsh on Ralph, and he does have a little bit of a, you know, a, I guess a bit of growth, you could call it, in that car, but as you mentioned, in the car over, sorry, as you mentioned. But then I feel like when the, when the pressure's really on, we get to see the true cause. Ralph wants to lie to a woman who's about to give her child away, which is a huge thing for anyone mm. to have to do. Princess Carolyn, however, is not prepared to do that. She wants no. it to be legit and above board and to give the mother the courtesy. And then the one thing that spoils this whole moment for her is that she's too good, Michael. She's too good. Yeah. Princess Carolyn is too goddamn good and she's got a shit together so much that she's managed to inadvertently get someone else's shit together, which ultimately means she doesn't end this episode with a baby. And God damn it, man. What I will say is if you're going to lose, if you're going to lose uh, the option to have the child of someone else and to take that responsibility on, is this the best way possible? <laughs> <laughs> my, I thought this hospital scene was absolutely amazing. Really um, good. One of my, one of my favourite of the season. My two big takeaways. Um, I, I love this. I love this show. We should really do a podcast about it. Um, Someone should do a podcast about this show, shouldn't they? I think so. It's really top stuff. Um, we should record this conversation one day. No, I... Uh, <laughs> PC sells motherhood like she would a film, like she probably will birthday dad to the last person she wants to sell it to, which is the person going to stop her being able to have a crack at it. It hit me in this episode, and I don't think it's an accident, and I think it's cruel scripting, but I think it's sort of genius um she is a better manager than a producer Mm. we have seen that in real life we are seeing it literally here she has been robbed of the ability to produce and that is not fair by that i mean biologically but she can't half manage um and i just i love that symmetry with how they finally finally weave that in what that gag was all about manifested here um you know what's the difference well the difference is this and we're kind of finding out in the cruelest way possible, aren't we, unfortunately? Yeah. Which is that's which the difference between a manager and a producer. Yeah. It's both excellent and severely, severely heartbreaking. The producer gets the final say when what they produced is a baby, unfortunately. Yeah. Um and I love 
Bojack Horseman the television show because what Bojack Horseman is doing and what I hope every comedy, comedy drama in case of Bojack, but every certainly every comedy, um, it is time. And I mean, it's been time for a long time, but it's especially time now to get the f- away from the grand sitcom finale of the man feeling like he has a right to, against the woman's wishes, fight for the woman and impose upon her what he believes to be right. I thought a lot about um, Friends or yeah. How I Met Your Mother yeah. or, you know, pick your, pick your favourite, where a scene like this would play out where the character almost verbatim would do Ralph's bit and then the woman would be scripted to swoon yeah. and be like, well, okay, if you think we can, and then goes about I'm, the line. I'm not going to let you do this alone. I can already hear the line. I, want, yeah. I don't want you to do this alone. I'll do it for you. Man saves day. Yeah. Woman can now have baby because man is here now, which is like, as you say, I want, to, I want generations of young men to have this version of this representation in massively mainstream media, Netflix, you know. We know not enough people talk themselves horse about a talking horse, but some must do because it is there on Netflix. And I want this to be the representation more than the representation. And I'm not just talking about our generation. Trail it back to like the boom of television in the yeah. 50s and, and beyond. You know, like just that that particular trope like needs to go. And trust trust this show. Trust it with everything, but trust it with that to make sure that it doesn't just enforce those values. And here's another parallel for you then as well. Bojack, again, we always say it. And we say it because it is. It's the best. It's the very best. It's better than the show you like. And it gives you all the things, and it does all the things that I feel shows should do. But I feel like in this episode alone, this episode really hammered home the different narratives that can come with living alone or being alone like and, and, and trying to do life in a society that constantly is trying to tell you you have to be in this situation or you have to mm. be in this situation. As you said there, we've changed the narrative here entirely of, um, man comes in to help woman. I loved, like you said, it was it might have been edging on harsh, but I've loved this line where Princess Carolyn says, I have plans now and you're not in them. Yeah. Like this narrative that I would like to see change and come out of this is this being seen as, oh, you know, like mm-hmm. she's a, a wounded creature who would have to take on this situation. Yeah, it was, it's, it, I, I'm, no doubt it would be a hard situation, but this narrative that it would be. Like that, she wouldn't be able to do it, Princess Carolyn. Yeah. In this situation, that's the thing I like about her having the control of her destiny and not just adhering to societal norms of, mm. well, you got you got to get yourself the man, or you've got to get yourself the how the family, the whatever. But then on the other side of that coin, we see the perils of living by yourself and being alone in Bojack, in just yeah, it yeah. can all spiral out of control. Two people in very different situations, controlling that life very differently. But it's a good narrative that I personally got a lot out of. In my own current situation it just yeah nothing nothing is binary mm. nothing and yeah the, the, I guess like you're being fed very much like some pros and cons I suppose in that regard um, but as you should be if you're trying to like any reflection of reality no matter how um, much some of it is sold for gags or jokes or whatever it's there is such a, um, a tightrope to walk if you're going to have if you're going to be an issue show that finds light relief in the form of Henry Fondle, mm. you have to you have to you have to earn untold levels of trust from your audience yeah. to be able to deliver a character like Henry Fondle and then still talk about these subjects. 
And that's what Bojack has done from the very... I, again, I'll put it to you that... Uh, I know the live action is slightly different of how ridiculous Henry Fonda would look, but just imagine a theoretically made one by Barney in How I Met Your Mother mm. and how that just wouldn't work. Like a version of that gimmick, should we say, would not work because that show did not earn your trust with these nope. issues in the way that Bojack always has done. It's 2021, Michael, and you've got to get yourself a show that does both. Like You do, you do. There's enough, there's enough room for both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I get it. Some shows just want to do comedy. That's fine. But if you want to be a show that really matters, like BoJack Horseman, then you should be able to do both. You, not, not that you should be able to. You should aspire to do both, mm. which they do time and time again. Anyway, speaking of both, it's time for the part of the show we call Horsen Around, where we go back through the episode and pick out all of the small details you might have missed, the hidden meanings behind certain things, or the little things you maybe didn't notice, and the Easter eggs within the episode, and we go all the way back to the very beginning. Well, technically to the very beginning. There's nothing really to go for other than the fact that you've already quoted the opening line, which I just thought was really, felt really powerful. I don't know what's real anymore, and I don't know if I care from Bojack, which is obviously said over um, the black screen. We don't get to say anything. Uh, only interrupted by subtitles on my watch, too, of course, because I'm <laughs> thorough, Michael. I need to know what's being said because the tongue twisters the craft, and the wordplay is too good to not be seen and written down as well sometimes. Um, in the opening credits, we didn't get anything new in there this week. Uh, all very much the same as it was. But we go to Airbud International Airport for our first proper little bit of horsing around. And uh, I just thought this was quite a cute little detail. Um, when Bojack obviously turns up with the sign for Hollyhock with all of her names on. We get the, we get the, there's like four names on the front. And then he flips it over and there's the four names on the back. All eight of our names, and as he mentions, uh, he says uh, the uh, he. I says I basically had to go through a whole pen on that thing. Is what he says to her as he's <laughs> holding up. But as you will notice, when he flips it round, the second side, the felt tip pen or whatever he's used to start to fade towards the end of the names. Oh, nice! Has indeed started to run out. Uh, we go across to what time is it right now? And we start off with a cute gag on the exterior outside. There's a. <laughs> Just three people watching a worm break dancing outside, um, <laughs> which is really great. Made me think of um, Dirty Vegas Days Go By, the guy dancing outside in the music video. But this worm is, of course, Michael, just doing the worm as he break dances outside <laughs> because he's a worm. Of course he was going to do the worm. What else would he bloody do? We go inside. What time is it right now? And our, our favourite new guy who is now becoming the most obvious, like... I saw in the whole show, who still I don't believe has a name, Todd's assistant man in his office, as I've called him. <laughs> Todd's I love this assistant guy. Man. Amazing, amazing guy. This week he wasn't eating anything though, Michael. He was, in fact, holding a box that was labelled Baby's First Battlefield. <laughs> Before, as, the, as this scene goes on, he will later be seen lying on his side on the floor with the board game out with one of them little sticks, moving the pieces up and down the board, presumably <laughs> playing against himself, I assume. Which, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just <sighs> makes for quite the visual. Um, <laughs> so stupid. Nice bit of trivia for you next, though. Um, the, the app that Emily makes for Todd, all about that ace, the app, um, comes from her app company, Michael, which is appropriately named. App appropriately named. <laughs> you see, we've got them all here. It's appropriately named. Emily Apps. 
with a little picture of her head next to it, which I just thought was quite interesting. Um, there's also a lovely little little detail they do, which they don't have to do, but they do it anyway because, of course, this show is better than the show you like. If you watch carefully and pay attention to all of the clocks in the room, yes, there's the the grandfather clock which moves back and forward, the little the swinging pendulum thing, and there's mm. the cat clock where the eyes move. But I've, if you're watching these clocks, when when it goes by a minute, they all move together and the hands move on every mm-hmm. single clock nice. in the room. It's just such a nice detail. Again, they don't have to do it, but it makes it makes someone like me appreciate it more. Mm. It really does. And then I just thought Todd's idea, by the way, as I've written down here, just to push it home again, is sensational. A restaurant where the menus are printed on garlic bread. So after you order, the first course is the menu. I mean, sign me up. Uh, yeah. Let's not let's not laugh, laugh this one out the room, Michael. Let's start this business, you and I. <laughs> no, I was going to say, if we don't run it, night one, I'm going to be a punter. So, like, you got down right. Once this podcast is finished. That's what's my next thing. We've got to do something with these nights where we record. Instead, we're going to write the menu on a bunch of garlic breads. Well, I thought you were going to say we're going to eat at the restaurant and do the garlic bread cast. Just like <laughs> no. review our food for the week. Hey, maybe you're onto something there. More on that later. <laughs> we go across to Vim Management, though, from there, where we see, again, another gag on the exterior. Now, brilliantly, there's a, um, a truck with a wagon attached to it out the back, um, which is in the shape of a barrel, the wagon. On the on the truck, and the name across said barrel is barrel of window washers. And which point we see the window washers who are busy cleaning Vim management on the exterior. Three monkeys linked together by the arm that are cleaning the windows. You know, like the game barrel yeah. of monkeys, of course, which is where the name comes from. Where you have to link all them up and <laughs> see how many you can get in one thing. Cute little gag there. We go inside though, and I just I just thought it was an amazing commentary on like Hollywood, but also real life Hollywood in general. The Mr. Peanut Butter can just walk up with a birthday dad card. <laughs> Say the word birthday dad again, or the phrase birthday dad again, and then just go, yeah, cool, we'll just do that. Because they're so scared about trying to option new things, for starters, and they don't want to put the time in to read books or even watch films that the book <laughs> might face. It's so stupid, but it's all almost believable. I can see this happening. In fact, I can almost imagine... That being the thing we head on to, birthday cards becoming options for films. Just that, like, again, I love that mindset of, like, I've been thinking for myself this last hour. What do I yeah. want to do next in my life? <laughs> Brilliantly as it. well. Oh, and I almost forgot as well. He's, he gets this, he goes to an actual bookshop for this as well, which we should point out. <laughs> He's got a little bag. The bag uh, reads Owl Books, which I didn't think was anything particular, but when I did a bit of digging, um, there's actually a bookshop in London, funny enough called Owl Bookshop, which may or may not be a reference. I feel like someone on the RBW writing staff has been to London, has seen this shop, and has maybe decided to drop it in. Maybe. Just maybe. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it would make sense, wouldn't it? It's only the greatest show ever made, but never mind. Um, <laughs> but we go across to Sandro's place from uh, Vim Management and Princess Carolyn, who is on the phone, and we see on her telephone, normally we'll be telling you about the cute... Um, Images or icons that people have on the phone for the certain person. Well, instead, when Tracy from the adoption agency calls, she is listed in Princess Carolyn's phone as Tracy, in brackets, unhelpful adoption person. <laughs> <laughs> which, in fairness, is well earned. Speaking of which, we go to the adoption agency while Tracy is on the phone. And you will notice a few things here. She's While she's talking to Princess Carolyn, she's playing a Nintendo Switch in her chair in an office that is an absolute mess. 
I should point out, Dave Meltzer, eat your heart out. And mm. on top of that, she's also eaten a bunch of fast food, and one of which is an empty bucket of chicken for days. She's obviously had the big leg of whatever because it's the bone just sticking out of the bucket. And she's also got a drink called the Pig Gulp, Michael. <laughs> well, wonderful too. We go across to Latrist Apartments, or for anybody who's in French, the Sad Apartments, Michael, nice. uh, in the Diane's house. And um, there's just a cute little gag, technically not inside, outside on the exterior. We see there's an anteater person who is um, picking a car up with their tongue outside of Diane's uh, block of uh, apartments. And the license plate on the car reads E-Z-M-A-R-K, which is, of course, easy mark for the nice. car. Has Great. Been, has been lick-pocketed. Lick. <laughs> I don't know. He's licked the lock. I don't know. Both Sound good. Both good. No, like, uh, the hard, the marbles were running around in my head, you know. They're uh, rectangular shaped marbles. You um, did the work. You did the I work. I tried my best. I tried my best, Michael. That's all I can ask. You <laughs> <laughs> go across to Bojack's house. And again, if, if the commentary about Hollywood and the Hollywood machine wasn't great in uh, Princess Carolyn's office, then in Bojack's house, Hollyhock saying to Bojack, why do Los Angeles people think everyone else understands your local references? I just thought that feels like such... I've never been to Los Angeles, Michael, but mm. I imagine when you go there, everybody speaks this way and has yeah. the little in, like almost like sitting in the what culture office. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. in jokes that are in there and the references, people just assume you understand. We got a microcosm of it in that office, but ultimately mm. in Los Angeles, they think they're cool, don't they, Michael? That's what they think. <laughs> um, they do indeed. They do. Anyway, we go we go across to I think it's Ralph's car that we're in driving towards the hospital. Uh, with Princess Carolyn, and we drive past some shops. It's the the one of note that you see in the middle is called Garcetti and Meatballs, which is presumably an Italian place. And uh, there's also a shop you can't really see the name for fully on the right, and one called I think it's called like LA and then Hamster, but Hamster's got all the vowels removed from it, and there's a wheel, <laughs> but it's all it's all like blocked out. You can't actually see it in the shop, so I don't know what LA Hamster wheels. Perhaps I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> Thoughts on a postcard at Podcast Horseman. We go across to what I have cl- cleverly, cleverly labelled here, Michael, as the paediatrician's office, but of course you and I know it as Doctor Who's office. Um, mm. First of all, Doctor Who's back, Michael. Doctor Who, as you mentioned, returns finally. Uh, we saw him back in Season 1, Episode 11, down at ending, of course. He was the person who brought the drugs for Bojack and Todd, funnily enough, and uh, Bojack, Todd and Sarah Lynn, that's what I was trying to say. But it seems weird having Todd included in there these days. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but then, of course, as you mentioned again, Doctor Who's saying that you'd have to be a real lost cause to not seek help after losing Sarah Lynn like that, don't you think? And these little reminders, Michael, of Sarah Lynn are constant throughout this season. Quick mm-hmm. jabs at the horse who's already going through a real bad time, which would explain, Michael, why he's trying to get his hands on some feel better in. <laughs> <laughs> which is the name of the drug that Bojack is continuously asking for in this episode. Brilliant, that. But not, Michael, not as brilliant as a three-way tongue twister that we have for us from this particular scene between Bojack, Hollyhock, and Doctor Who. I'm not going to jump and tell you who they are as I change between them, but I'll try and change the tense so you can mm-hmm. understand. I will give you this. Hollyhock started. I threw out his pills because of my trauma, from when I got drugged by his mama. You got drugged by your own mother? No, my mother. Her mother was maid who got knocked up by my dad 
but she got adopted by eight other dads. She's <laughs> <laughs> just try and explain that. Oh. It's just madness. And obviously you understand why Doctor Who doesn't believe them, Michael, because it sounds like it's making it up at this point. <laughs> um, but of course he says, I don't know who you think you're fooling, but this who won't get fooled again. And of course that is a reference to the who song won't get fooled again. Hey, they're quite good at this, aren't they, Megan? I like jokes. that. Very cute. It was very cute, and it did pop me big when I heard it. We go to Princess Carolyn's apartment once again. No Princess Carolyn in sight, though. Only Todd and Emily. And Todd, as you mentioned, is wearing a robe, Michael. But not just any robe. It must be Princess Carolyn's robe, because the monogram PC can be seen on the left breast of the robe. Uh, I won't break down Henry Fondle again, because I already spent time breaking him down. But just go and watch him. It's, it's better mm-hmm. than you Better than any words I can do justice. Pictures really do speak a thousand words in this particular scenario. We go from from there though to Bojack's car, and this just felt like a really oh, felt like worthwhile. You kind of briefly touched on it, but as he and Hollyhock are talking about uh, Gina, when he's kind of half semi committed to getting into a relationship with Gina after trying to steal the pills from my house, he says, "I'm very fond of that woman." And I'm sure that things are going to work out fine. And we can find a way to be happy together. And I won't hurt her in a way that she carries with her for the rest of her life, Michael. Which he says Gosh. in the middle of doing all this stuff with Hollyhock, a person who he has undoubtedly done things to, which have hurt her in a way that she will carry <laughs> the rest of her life. And is currently doing, probably, at this yeah, point in the like right now. Anyway, we go from there across to St. Bernard Medical Centre. Uh, there's a cute little gag on the exterior of this where there's a dog person who is sitting on the curve outside, looking a bit upset, Michael, with a cone around their neck because they're a dog. And they're taking, I think they're either taking a selfie or they're looking to do a FaceTime with someone. I don't know. They're holding their phone up and they're trying to get a shot of themselves in the cone. Uh, but when we get inside the hospital, there's a cute little gag where um, there's a pig woman who is being wheeled across screen in a wheelchair, and we see she's holding three little pigs, Michael, in nice. her arms. There you see yeah. what they're doing here, three little like pigs. Do you get it? Yeah, do you get it? <laughs> Animal puns, that's what we're about in this business. We then go from there to the place where they filmed Greece, Michael, or to anybody with half of it, Los Angeles River Basin, as it is referred to. Um, there's graffiti all around in this sketchy-looking scene, and I've, I've picked out some of the best ones. Some of them are just little tags, but some of them... Quite entertaining. One of them says seedy bird. One of them says I heart anal glands, which was uh, always nice, isn't it? There's one that <laughs> says sewer bay. And then my personal favourite is scrawled across one of the walls. It says clentists are real, Michael. Brilliant. Brilliant. As we know, they are very much real. They aren't a figment of your imagination. If only they were, though. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> As well, though, just a quick shout out here to our one of my personal favourites, an underrated character in the show, Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face. Just <laughs> always comes in with some stellar work, but this in particular, wearing a cap that says the word teen on it, as you mentioned, he's on a push scooter at this point, <laughs> <laughs> holding a lollipop in his hand, which clearly has a microphone inside of it. Uh, he's got a white T-shirt over the top of his police uniform again, as you mentioned, which isn't even hidden. Like, the badge is sticking out. He's got his police pants on. You can see his belt, his gun horse that is appearing from the bottom of the T-shirt. It's so bloody obvious. But then if it wasn't already, the dialogue in itself is just simply brilliant. Hello, drug merchant. Is it lit under here? (laughs) (laughs) Are there illegal pharmaceuticals available for purchase? 
and please talk into my lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely excellent, this. And on top of that, when it's all said and done, and Mr. Uh, Mr. Beg my pardon, Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face finally makes the arrest. The dealer, of course, who we fail to mention, is, I think, a centipede in this. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. a, a bug with a lot of arms, essentially. Uh, but as he gets pushed to the ground by Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face, and all the other police officers turn up, an additional police officer turns up, pulls out the handcuffs, Michael, and they are eight cuffed handcuffs, of course, because he's a centipede or whatever millipede and he's got all these arms and appendages that need to be put in chains and then finally we head across to Airbud International Airport and you'll just get a quick glimpse of this uh, I guess it's as sundown is happening because we're heading towards the night time oh I don't know the times it's weird because it's quite dark when Bojack and um, Hollyhock are driving towards the airport but the sun is kind of up or on its way down as we get to the airport so it's mm. I don't know if we've just changed time zone or something, but it's quite... I don't know if it's been a long drive, but it can't have been because you only had two hours to drive. So anyway, it looks like sunset to me is what it looks like. There's two birds who are sitting at the top and they're both in what appears to be like running gear. One of them's got like a little arm bit for the the iPod and all that sort of thing. They've obviously just been out for their late evening run, I guess, Michael. And they're just sitting Mm. on the top there, taking in the sunset, which is off sunrise. I don't know what it is at this point. It's all rather lovely anyway, whatever it is. And last but not least... We did have, that was the last location piece, but just as a bit of trivia, the final song, Michael, in this is by uh, Vetiver, V-E-T-I-V-E-R, and the song is called Last Hoorah. Feels quite relevant, doesn't it, as Bojack drive a pile of oncoming traffic. Oh, and actually there is one one other little bit before we get on about one last thing. Uh, the end credits theme, uh, as we've seen throughout this season, is another, it's another cover once again, and it is covered by the one and only Slut Bomb, Michael, who have provided oh. a cover of a timeless classic back in the 90s by Group Love. So there you go. Nice little additional. It's a great little version of that as well, actually. Kick-ass version of the song. Just really briefly, this isn't my one last thing, but what you alluded to this a couple of episodes ago. That's right. What, what do you make of the choice to have different credits music virtually every week? Is it something to do with... Bojack descending into a tel- a version of his own life on television in Filbert. Is that what that's a reference to? Like, is it is it all to do with Flip's original, this is going to be a hell of a season of television at, like, the end of episode one? It just, it doesn't feel, like, I keep noticing it now, and it doesn't feel like an accident, and I've never spotted it before. To that, Michael, I will say this one very simple phrase. I don't know what's real anymore. <laughs> And I don't know if I care. <laughs> I feel like there's a real displacement no about that, isn't there? There's a real displacement about not using the typical end theme mm. in this season to show that maybe things aren't quite what we're used to in the show. Although I do miss uh, the group love sound uh, soundtrack finishing each episode. But hey, I like it. I kind of like that they keep you on your toes. Season five, yeah. keep you on your toes. Change it up. Anyway. It is now time, if I just check with our sponsors once again, from what time is it right now? Yes, it seems like we're all good. We do have time for one last thing, and I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. Now, here's a question for you. Is yours an insightful one, or is yours a jokey one? Uh, It's a jokier one than it is insightful, I think. 
Do you get one? Okay. Hmm. Well, I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna mix it up. Much like the end credits changing, I'm gonna go first this week. Okay. I'm gonna mix it up because I do have a bit of a jokey one as well. Um, just a line that came out of Todd's mouth in this episode that really genuinely I wouldn't have probably noticed as much unless I had the subtitles on, and it cracked me up. So when he's talking to Diane in Diane's apartment, of course, living in the triste apartments, Michael, the sad apartments. It's all a bit miserable. You know, she's <laughs> not having the best time. I think we know we Todd. Is not afraid to tell her as much. <laughs> <laughs> but as they finally get through to the point where Diane gives him his eureka moment, <laughs> Todd says, and I'm not going to be able to do this justice the way Todd does, but this is what he says. So Diane has just told him sex, and he says, Diane, you sad homed genius. You <laughs> I mean, what a line that is. Diane, you sad, homed genius. You cracked it. It really did get me good, this. It really got me in ways I wasn't in, wasn't expecting it to. I, I, I mean, that's amazing. I'm so glad that you've gone first. Yeah. Because let's just carry on with that exact scene. And indeed, the very next line is my one last thing. Oh, Bob wonderful. Dash is out the door. Um, to the junkyard to build Henry Fondle yeah. and uh, Diane shouts as he leaves always happy to contribute <laughs> and I love that yeah. of course as we would later learn that is Alison Bree's entire contribution to the episode <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like a metatextual joke about how sometimes especially females ancillary females are used in television shows like I felt that was that was the gag within that particular line. Do you know what? You've said that now, and this, that's a great catch, by the way, because I hadn't caught that myself. That's really good. But also, on top of this, it's really just reminded me, specifically, I don't know why it's coming to my head, not to do with Alison Brie, watching New Girl, and I love New Girl, great show, um, but there's a very specific uh, couple of episodes in like the early season, or maybe even season one, where Hannah Simone, obviously playing, uh, I've forgotten her name now, Cece, uh, playing yeah. in the show, it feels like she turns up in in that show for like one the odds like a, the it's very noticeable where that happens where like that she's in for like about 30, 30 seconds just to say she's still there just to point it and go off oh, there she is and then <laughs> you don't see her again and I don't know why that just came into my head there but you're absolutely right this really does highlight some great stuff I mean that I always happy to contribute as well the woman who literally just rewrote. The whole show yeah. <laughs> in a couple of episodes ago, just to save it all, always happy to contribute because she clearly is the best at, at contributing and yet very rarely gets the chance to do so. Mm. Excellent stuff. Great cast, that is. Anyway, that is all of our stuff. All of our stuff, apart from a couple of last little plugs, of course. Uh, if you have enjoyed this podcast and have enjoyed listening to two idiots talk themselves horse about a talking horse, then you've won. Come to the right place, of course, because, of course, of course, our kingdom for this horse, shall we say, although he's a bit of a <laughs> However, if you'd like to follow this podcast, you can do just that, at Podcast Horseman. Please do give us a like, give us a follow, all the good stuff that you do on social media. We started this podcast with the intention of growing a community of people who want to talk more about Bojack Horseman, and we've been enjoying watching it grow. And it's lovely getting all of your messages, in particular in the, um, in the old DMs, whether it be on Instagram or Twitter. Genuinely, great interactions. We can't reply to them all, but we do read them, and we do always get a kick out of them. If you'd like to talk to us more, though, either of your hosts, you can do just that. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at It's Adam Nicholas, and you can follow Michael Hamflit 
at Michael Hamflit. Um, you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we'd like you to subscribe or follow on Spotify, where you can follow on Amazon Music, where you can probably accidentally buy something you don't need, but at least find the podcast while you're there. Um, pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast, you can get Podcast Horseman, including on the app Podcast Horseman Twitter feed, where a new episode will go up every single Friday. There's an Acast link inside it. You can stream it from there, or you can subscribe through Acast as well. It's a really good service. Uh, Overcast as well. Do want to put them over there. My new favourite podcast app. Check us out on there. Um, and if you want to get yourself a star on our Hollywood Talk of Fame, ordinarily we would encourage you to leave a five-star review. Um, love seeing them come in all the time. It gets us up those Apple charts, which gets more people seeing us, more people listening. We'll probably be returning to them for season six, but in season five, we've been giving the stars out for quote tweets. Um, you see that tweet on a Friday going out with the uh, little quote from the episode and the link. And send it out as a quote tweet to all your followers. Hopefully get a few more people find the podcast, which is exactly what Ray, at Raceball, R-A-I-C-E-B-A-L-L, tweeted for last Friday's episode, saying, Bojack and Diane's costume is the greatest thing ever. I love them both. Couldn't agree more with that take. And indeed, your choice to quote tweet that episode. A start on Hollywood Talk of Fame coming to you very soon. Excellent stuff. And before I get into the all self-loathing stuff i just want to say that i think that's i think i would like whoever left that review to tell us if it's what did you call it? race ball oh or yeah rice ball. no or rice we, ball yeah we had a we had a specific discussion about this we weren't sure where mm. it was going to lie michael said maybe race ball and i said maybe rice ball so so settle the debate for us if you can find let us, us know. podcast horseman let us know and i suppose while we're there We'll talk about the giant star-shaped elephant in the room again. <laughs> I know, I promised you. But I did say, if it's not written down, I won't remember to do these things. And now, it is officially written down. I can see it. I've got it in a list called To Do Things. Because you deserve these stars. You really do. I can't under underestimate, underestimate, overstate this, is what I'm trying to say, how much we appreciate uh, you all giving us those five-star reviews and those core tweets. It really does help the podcast. And it also helps us to see that people are still interested in engaging and talking themselves mm. horse about a talking horse. So bear with me. You'll get them. I promise. Um, anyway, now that we've done that, let's head across from there to Netflix for our synopsis. Michael, for next week's episode of Podcast Horseman and indeed Bojack Horseman. It is season five Episode 10, oh, we're getting close. We are getting close to the end of this season. And this one, much like me at the weekend, apparently, is called Head in the Clouds. <laughs> at the Philbach premiere party, Princess Carolyn deftly negotiates a deal. Gina steps into the limelight and Diane confronts Bojack. Dun, dun, dun. Oof. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Absolutely nothing, I'm sure. But if you want to find out what happens on next week's episode of Podcast Horseman and indeed Bojack Horseman, you will have to come back next week to find out. Anyway, with that said, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.